You're listening to Of Slights and Men with Benji, who's going solo. A Daily Magician production. I want to talk about the problem I have with Triumph. Already, already I fear that within under 10 seconds I've offended a great number of people with that sentence. But, nonetheless, I think, uh, as, as you'll discover over the course of this episode, my grievance towards Triumph is not uh, plucked out of thin air, and there is a reason behind it, and I'm hoping you will understand that reason by the, by the end of this episode. And you'll also understand why, despite that slight annoyance, I, I think Triumph is one of the most beautiful routines in all of magic. And... Um, To, to, to explain why that is, I want to take a break from magic for a minute and just talk about story structure and narrative structure as, as I understand it for, for a minute. And so when I was um, studying film, we talked about narrative structure in, a, in an interesting way. It's, it's similar to how many other people talk about it, but I really like the way um, the words that we used for it, and I think they, they apply quite nicely to what I'll talk about today. And so... I'll just briefly go over that so we're all on the same footing um, in film and really narrative of any kind. We usually start the story in a place that we would call equilibrium. Um, Other people might call it the ordinary world if you're a fan of the hero's journey. Um, But either way, it's this idea that we're going to start in a place of equilibrium and a place of order. And so I think an example um, would be, if you've watched Lord of the Rings, you know that we start out in the Shire, and we are shown through the kind of beginning exposition how this, for Frodo Baggins, is the ordinary world. This is his equilibrium. Um, Everything is as it should be, uh, at least to begin with. And so we start out in a place that we'll be calling equilibrium, but we could just as easily call it like the ordinary world, call it the orderly world, Um, either way it's this idea of equilibrium or order. And then, obviously, for a narrative plot to develop, we have to introduce conflict. Conflict is what drives the narrative forward, and we we can't do that without introducing plot complications and villains and antagonists and problems to solve and all this stuff. But all of that we'll just kind of bundle up, and I'm going to call, I'm going to encompass that in one word, which is disequilibrium. So something will come along that will throw that initial equilibrium into chaos. And um, it will take that order and turn it into disorder. It's going to take that ordinary world and it's going to take the person from that ordinary world and cast them into a new kind of strange world. But again, for our purposes, we're just going to be calling that disequilibrium where we're going to disturb the initial equilibrium that we started in. So, you know, for Lord of the Rings... What happens? Well, the ring arrives, or you know, maybe it was all there all along, but the ring surfaces, and suddenly there's ring wraiths and um, all kinds of plot complications that are suddenly arising and turning the Shire from this place of equilibrium to this place of disequilibrium, where Frodo and his friends need to run and uh, escape. Um, and obviously, it's not just the Shire. This this kind of period of disequilibrium is going to last for the the vast majority of the films. 
um, where we're going to work through all of the different complications and plot points and villains that have come up. But for now, we're just going to kind of call all of that disequilibrium. So we start in equilibrium in our ordinary world. We start with order. We move into disorder, which we'll be calling disequilibrium. Um, and then at the kind of resolution of the narrative, once we get to the, the end of it, um, we are going to end in a place we call new equilibrium. And it's important, that one word there, new equilibrium. The reason I want to stress that is that we don't return to equilibrium. We don't, things don't go back to how they were at the beginning. However, they do return to a new normal. And so yeah, we could say, again, we could say moving from order to disorder to a new order. Um, no Star Wars references intended there, but the same thing as moving from equilibrium, disequilibrium, new equilibrium. And so... Um, and, and the same thing is plotted onto the hero's journey, but this is really, I think, one of the easiest ways of explaining it in these just these three words in terms of starting in equilibrium, moving into disequilibrium, and then as we resolve the plot, we return to new equilibrium. So, for example, again, in Lord of the Rings, um, Frodo and his friends return to the Shire, which, again, in the hero's journey, we have this whole idea of returning with the excellent returning to the initial place we started, but it's going to be changed, um, and we're going to call this the new equilibrium. When they return to the Shire at the end of the film, it's different, you know? It's it's still a sort of normal, because the plot has been resolved, the big bad villain has been defeated, and they are free to live their lives as they, as they want. Um, and so it is an equilibrium of a sort, but it's not the one we started with, because Frodo's changed, his friends have changed. And, you know, for that very reason, Frodo can't stay in the Shire. And he has to, you know, he leaves with the elves and the ships. And so we end the film with equilibrium in terms of things have returned to a state that is natural and normal. But it's not the same state we started with. It's a new equilibrium. Um, and so I think it's really important to understand that as we go into this discussion of triumph. And I'll, I'll be returning to those terms. But one one final point I'll make is that Often in narrative, the the new equilibrium we reach at the end of the film is made satisfying to the extent that the disequilibrium we experienced was intense. So what I mean by that is that you know if Frodo's job was to deliver the ring to a cave, um, you know, a hundred meters out of the Shire, and just place it beneath a rock, the the journey from initial equilibrium to disequilibrium in terms of getting it getting it to the cave and then coming back the final state we would have ended up in would have been nowhere near as satisfying as what we did get in terms of we had this whole quest with the ring and there's this the whole kind of three films are dedicated to this quest of overcoming this disequilibrium and because the disequilibrium was so intense the satisfaction we got from the new equilibrium was uh, incredible um and so those are really the two key points I want you to bear in mind going into this is that in narrative structure, we move from equilibrium to disequilibrium to new equilibrium. And the strength of that new equilibrium is kind of dependent on how intense the disequilibrium is. And I hope you are still with me. <laughs> um, I'm sure you are. You know, it's not, it's, it's, it's interesting and it's not too complex a topic, I think. Um, I just realized that I probably sound really arrogant. <laughs> Are you still with me? 
I don't mean it like that. I just mean uh, I hope you suffered through the film discussion so we could move into the magic discussion because I know not all of you are as uh, fanatic about films as I am. So, what on earth does this have to do with Triumph? Well, I would suggest that, I would propose that Triumph is one of the best examples of applying narrative structure to magic that I've ever seen. And that's because I think it fits that three-part structure we talked about so perfectly. And, and here's how. We start the effects in equilibrium, uh, where, you know, if you're familiar with the Triumph effect, we start with all of the cards face down. And that is a state of equilibrium for the deck. We're then going to have somebody remove a card and, and look at one card and place it back. We're then going to shuffle the cards face up into face down. And the idea is that we want to make it feel messy. We want to complicate things. We want to face up into face down, create problems for ourselves. And what we've done is move the deck from equilibrium to disequilibrium. We've gone from a state of order in which all of the cards face the same direction into a state of disorder where cards are facing different directions and there seems to be no rhyme or reason to that. And so we have actually moved from equilibrium to disequilibrium. And now to, uh, to sort of create the magic of the effect, what we're going to do is we're going to wave our hand over the deck and we're going to make all the face-up cards turn face down except for one card, which is going to be their chosen card. And obviously you can do that the other way around. You can make the rest of the cards turn face up but keep one, one card face down. It doesn't matter. The idea is that Every card in the deck is going to return to the state it was originally in, except from one card. And so what we actually have is a new equilibrium. We don't have equilibrium because there's one card. That's that's not how it was to begin with, you know. We started the deck with all 52 playing cards face down. We moved into disequilibrium where we shuffled face up and face down randomly. And then through magic, we returned to... We, no, we returned, with magic, we resolved and landed in our new equilibrium where it's now a state of, it's the new normal for the deck. All these cards are face down, except from one. And that one face-up card distinguishes it from the original state of equilibrium, because now, now we're in the new equilibrium, in that we're back in order, but there's a difference, and, and something has changed. Um, and it's this card is now face-up. And so I think it's so beautiful that it has this narrative structure wrapped up into the magic, um, and they work so beautifully together. It's, it's almost like a visual representation of narrative form. Um, and I'm not sure if it was intended to be that or if it was just subconsciously Vernon knew what he was doing when he was doing that, but I think it's amazing that that is the case. Um, but all of this hasn't really answered why I have a problem with Triumph, um, but I think it was it was important to get that, get that done before we could move into it because I want you to know that it's one of my, I think it's one of the most beautiful effects in magic um, in the way it combines narrative and magic. Um, and I think I've, managed to explain why that is, um, and I've done it in 10 minutes, no less. I thought it would take a lot longer than that. That's, uh, I'm sure some some days I talk for 10 minutes about like the most random stuff, and in this one we managed to cover like narrative art and magic and hero's journey, and we got all that done, so that is awesome. Um, so moving on to why I, I don't know why I have a slight problem with Triumph, uh, or the way Triumph has performed, I want to return to our second point, which is that the strength of the final new equilibrium is dependent on the intensity of the disequilibrium. And another way of saying this might be, in Triumph, the climax of the effect is 
strong in relation to how convincing the chaos that preceded it was. And you know, this is an, an idea that's not it's not a revolutionary idea. Darwin Ortiz talks about this a lot in in his work. Um, his book, Strong Magic, Design and Miracles, his, his ideas on construct and effects, where, you know, the more convinced they are it's an apple, the more amazed they're going to be when you turn it into an orange. It's the same thing here. The more convinced they are that cards really are shuffled face up into face down, the more amazed they're going to be when you resolve that through magic. And I agree with that um, because, again, it, it ties into the narrative structure in that the difference we talked about from, from Frodo doing his used quest versus just taking it to a cave outside the Shire, there's a huge difference. And it's the same with Triumph in that the more intense the, the, the disequilibrium and the chaos, the more satisfying and the greater the reaction the final uh, new order is going to be at the end. So again, all of that sounds fine so far. What What's the problem? Well, the problem is the, the way that I see people handling the cards after the face-up into face-down shuffle. And so... What I mean is, and, and you may now be able to kind of visualize this as I say it, if you think about all the times you've seen Triumph performed. Um, and obviously it's performed differently by different people, and this is just a generalization the way I usually see it done, is shuffle face up into face down. Great. Once it's shuffled face up into face down, there's this whole picture of chaos. What usually happens is the magician will hold the deck, you know, quite carefully in their hand, and they will cut very precisely, very neatly to... Uh, face-up card and say, look, face-up cards. Then they'll return the deck and you know, keep it nice and squared, nice and neat. Then they'll cut somewhere else and say, look, face-down card. Again, very neat, very controlled, very orderly. And then they'll cut right about in the middle and they say, look, face-to-face -face or back-to-back, -back, and they'll do the little move that will reverse one of the packets and one of the necessary moves for completing it. But the whole thing feels very, very orderly. And for me, it's so strange that we've moved from this complete chaos, this utter chaos of shuffling face up to face down, making it feel like a real mess, real chaotic, into this very orderly, neat, and tidy display procedure. And for me, that weakens the overall effect because what we're doing is, in the ideal world, in Triumph, we are creating order out of chaos, which is another one of the reasons why it's such a compelling routine. The idea of being able to create order out of chaos is such a huge part of being human um i won't get in too deep <laughs> but you know the way we manage to spot kind of like patterns and stuff and create order out of what otherwise might be chaotic things um the, the idea of creating order from chaos is very very powerful even like biblical you know it's from all this stuff we created this and drawing together order from an initial initial state of chaos um I don't know. I don't know if that's uh, quite the where I wanted that to go, but um, I mean, I'll have to double check that. But I don't know. I think that's a decent enough example. The idea of creating order from chaos is a pretty powerful concept, and so the fact that we can do that in Triumph lends this routine a lot of. Uh, it almost borrows that power from that intrinsic human concept of order from chaos, and so. When I see people doing this very orderly display procedure, what I feel like happens is that we... Sure, we still create magic in that we we move from face up into face down into all face up, but we, we move from like... We create order out of order, if that makes sense. In that when we display, 
we are kind of exhibiting order and it feels orderly. And so we're creating magic out of a feeling of order, which is nowhere near as powerful as creating magic out of a feeling of chaos. Because it's much more impressive to be able to do it in a chaotic scenario than in an orderly scenario. And that's why I think um, the display procedure that you should use for Triumph should be equally as messy and chaotic as the initial shuffle procedure so that the entire thing moves from chaos to order rather than order to order, which is never going to be as powerful. And I think a good example of that is um, if you've watched Darwin, uh, not Darwin Ortiz, um, Danny Doty's, his open triumph. For me, for my money, that's probably the best version of triumph because, you know, he will shuffle face up into face down, which is standard procedure so far. But when he does the display, it's very messy and it's just, you know, between his hands, he's saying, look, look, look how messy it is. Look, cards are... And he's not cutting neatly to one card and showing another card and doing it one by one. He's showing what looks like the entire deck and he's just got it spread between his hands. And, and again, messy and chaotic handling. Which means that then when he resolves it, it moves from chaos to this new equilibrium, this new order, as opposed to this kind of orderly disequilibrium into new equilibrium, which for my money is always going to be weaker than moving from a chaotic disequilibrium into a, a new equilibrium. <laughs> let me sure, let me make sure I said that right, because there's so many equilibriums floating around right now. Moving from a chaotic disequilibrium into a new equilibrium is more magical than moving from a orderly disequilibrium into a new equilibrium. And that's the difference between a routine like Danny's and the, the regular way that I try of being done. And um, some people might say that, well, you know, you need to do the cutting procedure, like that's part of the method. Um, but to that, I mean, I guess it's, I would come back to Darwin Ortiz and another one of his ideas is that it's not really about you. This is about the audience. It's about creating the best effect that you can for them. And so if that demands that you need to use a more difficult method, that's just what you're going to have to do, you know? Um, that's kind of your problem to figure out, not theirs. And so... Um, and yeah, I just looked up that... Uh, that Genesis reference to make sure I was getting that right. But yeah, so I mean, uh, take a look at this. Um, you know, uh, Genesis chapter one, verse two, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and God said that there be light and there was light. So again, it's, uh, sorry, and God saw the light, that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness. And so again, it's creating this kind of order, order, this light out of darkness, this order out of chaos um, is a very, very, powerful concept um which triumph triumph managed to manage to tap into which i why i think it has such strong intrinsic potential um you just have to make sure you deliver on that by using as i was talking about a purposely messy display procedure as opposed to an, a nice orderly neat one in my opinion that's how triumph that's how I would do it. Um, that's how I would encourage anyone else to do it. If you have a different reasoning on why you do it the way you do it, I'm more than happy to, to hear. But I just don't see there being a better handling than the idea of letting the display procedure be as messy as possible. Because like we said, the more intense the disequilibrium, the more satisfying the new equilibrium, the more messy and chaotic the display is, 
the more satisfying and the better the reaction you'll get when it moves into this state of new equilibrium and this new order at the end. Um, so yet again, I'm, I'm very surprised we managed to do that in under 20 minutes. I was, I was, uh, I was getting ready for a long episode. I was like, all right, I better, better strap myself in. This is going to be a long one. Um, but I have managed to, uh, pleasantly surprise myself in that we kept this just below 20 minutes, although we may just cross over it now as I close this out. But, um, I think I've said more or less everything that I, that I want to say. Um, and I'm very interested to hear different points of view on this um so again as ever reach out to me Benji at the daily magician um, and do check out the dailymagician.com to uh receive ideas and uh discussions just like this every single day delivered straight to your inbox um and i, w- I will speak to you then if not i will see you on the next episode of the podcast you know i was feel weird when I say at the end to see you but I don't know what else I meant to say I will I guess I will speak to you on the next episode of the podcast so uh, I look forward to